finding your way to a balanced way of living is the key to health and happiness. Each week on Choosing the Balanced Life with Diabetes, you'll hear tips and tools for a happier and healthier life. Here's your host, Anita Westlake. Obesity and being overweight have been on the increase for the last couple of decades and are global health issues and are major contributors to the increase of diabetes. So what can we do about this? What can we do to better manage our weight to not develop diabetes along with a slew of other health issues? So at what point do we even know that we are in risk of these other health issues? And what measurement tells us the difference of just being a little overweight, greatly overweight, or obese? And today, to clear up a lot of these uh, questions, is my guest, Dr. Sandeep Graywall. He's a medical doctor and certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine and author of Fat Me Not. We're going to talk about myths about uh, weight loss and effective ways to lose weight and to get better control of our weight in order to have optimum health and not develop diabetes or perhaps even reverse diabetes and get rid of some other health issues that you may suffer from being overweight or um, being obese. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Graywall. Thank you for having me. This is such a huge topic, weight. Everyone, um, I think all of us want to uh, have our weight at a healthy state. But it's a very hard thing to accomplish. And when it comes to diabetes, it is such a concern. Obesity is on the rise. And um, diabetes is a global epidemic. So how much would you say um, weight is contributing to the epidemic of diabetes? Well, we know for a fact that both the incidence of diabetes and incidence of weight gain is increasing in the world, uh, not just uh, here in the States. Uh, But if you look at uh, diabetics, 90% of diabetics are overweight or obese. And obesity increases your risk of diabetes by six-fold. So weight is the biggest contributing factor for diabetes and also weight loss can uh, improve diabetes or in many cases bariatric surgery has been proven to cure diabetes. Weight is a major factor in this epidemic of the of diabetes at the moment. Yeah, definitely. That's a hard thing to gauge because we all have our own perception of, of weight and of course obesity is obesity and if someone has to lose I'm going to say 80 pounds or more. It's quite obvious they have to lose weight. But at what point does someone really have to take charge and say, wow, I'm really at risk of developing diabetes because I'm overweight? Is there any kind of measurement that gives us, you know? Yes, there are measurements of weight, and there are, I will give many different ways of finding out uh, what to do. Uh, and when it is time for you to take charge and start losing weight. Uh, Number one is if your body mass index, that's a BMI, uh, which is the most common way doctors measure obesity. If the BMI is between 25 to 30, a person is overweight. And if the BMI is over 30, the person is obese. And if the BMI is over 40, the person is morbidly obese. 
And the importance of these categories is when you're overweight, your risk of diabetes increases. When you're obese, your BMI is more than 30, your risk of diabetes increases even more. And with morbidly obese, they're almost 90 to 100% likely to get become diabetics. So weight is one way to, uh, body mass index uh, calculation is one way to find out. And you can always ask your doctor what your BMI is, and they would be happy to tell you that. Uh, the other way to do it is uh, check the waist circumference. Uh, risk of diabetes doubles if a waist circumference of a male is more than 40 inches and in a female if it is more than 36 inches. So if your waist size is more than these numbers, 36 in female and 40 inches in male, uh, your risk of diabetes doubles. And if you have a family history of diabetes, uh, there is an increased risk of 5 to 10 times uh, that you would get diabetes. So uh, weight management in people who have a family uh, history of diabetes in a first degree relative, weight management is very important. Now we're talking about type two at the moment. Type one is, is a different animal. Um, and just to be clear, you know, when you have type one, we know it's autoimmune. So that we're going to separate that a little bit from weight today as in developing diabetes rather than managing it. So does this depend on, uh, I'm going to go back to this waist size because that's very interesting. So if a male, let's say he's 6'3", still anything over 40 inches or is it relative to height that he should really be mindful of his weight at that point? Uh, the reason the waist circumference is so important is there is something called visceral fat and this is the abdominal fat. So. Uh, many people can be, uh, you know, they could have fat accumulation, but if it is a pear-shaped body with the more of the fat in the thighs and the uh, buttock area, uh, they are at less at risk than people who have uh, central obesity, which is the fat developing in the abdominal uh, circumference, uh, which is more likely to cause diabetes because that kind of fat releases inflammatory chemicals causing inflammation and insulin resistance. Uh, so height may not matter as much. Uh, it's the waist circumference which dictates uh, the risk of diabetes. Very interesting. I, I know that they say even people currently living with diabetes, and I'm not sure. I haven't peeled back the information to really identify if it matters if you're type 1 or 2, but they really tell you to be careful of your midsection of your body and to keep your weight down and exercise and, and make sure that that area it, it, this isn't the area that if you're gaining weight that it gets out of control. And it, obviously that's, this is something to do with that. And that's people who are living with diabetes also, not just at risk, but but living with it. So is this a way that they can keep their control? Is that why they state that? Uh, yes, they can reduce their risk of diabetes, uh, developing diabetes. Also in diabetics, reducing the waist circumference reduces uh, improves their insulin resistance, which means they would need less medications uh, to control their diabetes. So really your abdominal area is is vital to keep that um, slim, in shape, optimally in shape, but keeping your weight down, keeping that waist size down. Having said that, and you're talking about abdominal fat, I, I have to, and, and we haven't even hit on weight loss and, and, you know, how we can help ourselves keep our weight down. But I want to touch on something called brown fat. Because we're talking about abdominal weight 
and and that's fine. But what is brown fat? I'm hearing more and more about this to do with diabetes. Uh, that's a good question. Brown fat and white fat. These are two different kind of fats in our body. These are fat cells. Uh, in in simple terms, brown fat has a lot of mitochondria, which is the batteries uh, of our cells, which runs the metabolism. So uh, brown fat has a lot more uh, uh, highly metabolic state, and it, it, it burns fat. It uses fat. It also uh, takes the glucose from the blood in, uh, into itself and uses it to create energy and heat. So what did scientists find that uh, when people with more brown fat uh, are exposed to cold temperatures, uh, these brown fat uh, starts taking up glucose from the blood and turns it into heat energy to keep the body warm. So what basically does is it, it improves the uh, glucose control and it also reduces weight. Uh, so brown fat is very important to reduce weight. So how do you convert your white fat into brown fat? Uh, there was another study done on the same issue. They found that our muscle secretes an enzyme called incretin. And this incretin, uh, what it does is it converts the white fat into brown fat. And brown fat is much more healthier, reduces the risk of diabetes, improves diabetes, and uh, reduces the risk of weight gain. Uh, that is why we advise our patients that exercising, uh, building muscles is a better way of exercising than aerobics. And that's the way you convert your white fat into brown fat and reap the healthy benefits of it. Is by building muscle. By building muscles. So cardio, uh, there's always people talk about cardio. Are you doing enough cardio? Let's get your heart rate up. So that obviously there's some benefits to cardio, but you're saying really focus on building muscle because we want to yes. convert white fat to brown fat. Exactly. And this is uh, why we say that uh, as the research is getting better and better, we are using the latest research and its implications to make our health better. Now, cardio is good also. There has been research on cardio, which was done in the 60s and 50s, uh, in which they have shown that 20 minutes of uh, walking a day can help with your diabetes, and it can also reduce your risk of developing diabetes if you don't have a diabetes. Uh, but now we are knowing that we cannot ignore muscle building and strength training exercises because you got to do both. you got to take advantage of this brown fat, which can only be done by building muscles. So it will take the white fat and it will convert it to brown fat in building muscle. And obviously this would include um, resistance training. You don't have to lift a dumbbell necessarily, but maybe stretch bands where you're having adding some resistance. Uh, that's correct. Any kind of resistance to the muscles uh, builds our muscles because that's what our body realizes that it needs uh, to continue into that exercise program. So we should, if we want to do this, we really should be looking at ways um, that we can, and whatever our personal circumstances are, in some kind of a weight program, resistant program, so that we're building muscle and converting this. Yes, converting the white fat into brown fat. And what does that look like on the scale? Because I think a lot of people get hung up on the scale. So now they want to lose weight, um, and we look at numbers all the time. But even when you're talking about measurements here, um, is it MBI? It's a BMI. Sorry. Body mass index. So it's a BMI, and I should know this. Um, 
What is that versus the scale? What does that mean? A body mass index is, as you had mentioned, height. So, uh, for example, somebody is 6'3", he, he definitely would weigh more than somebody who's 5'3". Uh, so the body mass index is uh, a graph which takes into account a person's height and then determines whether the weight he has is in the normal range or overweight range. So it, it just measures your body fat, basically. And can we identify the difference between white fat and brown fat when we do this? Uh, not really. We cannot at this time uh, differentiate white fat and brown fat. Uh, it is uh, usually done under the microscope, and there are no uh, publicly available tests uh, which which can measure these two different type of fat at this time. So it would show up more or less in our health? Uh, yes, it will show up that... Uh, you, uh, brown fat is one of the ways when they say your fat is in a fat burning mode. Uh, brown fat is that kind of fat. So when you are exercising, building muscles, your uh, fat is dissolving. It is usually being done by the brown fat. And building muscle is going to help increase this brown fat? Definitely. Uh, the muscles secrete uh, incretin, as I said, and this incretin changes your white fat into brown fat. So the more muscles you have, more incretin your body is secreting, and more white fat is being turned into brown fat. Okay. So Now, the relationship between weight and diabetes, although we know that obesity is on the rise, diabetes is a global epidemic, some people are overweight, even obese, and they don't have diabetes. So oh, it's not correct. always it's not always weight diabetes that are linked. I understand that it's on the rise and the percentage is high. Is it just one of those things where some people can get away with it and carry the extra weight? I'm always astounded when I you know I talk to people that are are very overweight and they want to lose weight and they want to be motivated and they're they are fearful but they're they've been overweight for years and years and years and they don't have diabetes. Uh, that's interesting. Uh point you have raised, uh, there are people uh, who have obesity, they, are, they have got, say, 250 pounds of weight, but when you do their blood work, everything is perfectly normal. Uh, and that is one of the uh, arguments uh, they make that we are all healthy, so why do we need to lose weight? Uh, but in medicine and in, in our general life, when we are trying to uh, keep ourselves healthy, the biggest uh, impact we can make on our health is by reducing risk. Now, we may be overweight or obese, may not have diabetes as yet, and we may not even have even slightly abnormal pre-diabetic blood sugar, but uh, we have to keep our risk of developing diabetes low. And the risk of developing diabetes is very high in obese people and for our future because there is no way telling who's going to develop it and who's not going to develop it, but we do know that obesity increases our risk. Uh, it's not 100% everybody would get diabetes, but the risk reduction is important because we don't want to be the one who gets the diabetes. And that's why losing weight is important. So whether you're um, a diabetic or not, or at risk, so you're, you really have to look at your weight. And it must go beyond, obviously, I shouldn't say must, I know better. It goes beyond diabetes. There, there's your heart, there's you know your joints. Um, just all kinds of pressure weight will put on your body when it comes to your health. Right. The risk of obesity is very high. For example, uh, 
two times higher risk of developing high blood pressure. There's almost 60% increase in the risk of getting a heart attack. Two times uh, double the risk of getting diabetes if you're obese than if you're not obese. And not only that, it can also cause cancers. It can also cause sleep apnea, joint pains, and even premature death. We, have, we are seeing many uh, people dying in their 20s and 30s just because of obesity. So sad. I mean, so young. And touching back on something you just said, I'm surprised to hear this. Certain cancers are caused by weight? Yes. The latest research is showing that uh, obesity is also increasing the risk of cancers. And the way it does it, all these fat cells, they secrete uh, pro-inflammatory chemicals, which are basically chemicals which cause inflammation all over the body. So when this inflammation happens in the brain, you can get dementia. When it happens in your pancreas, this inflammation can cause diabetes. When it goes in the arteries, it can cause uh, arterial disease, including blockages and heart attacks and strokes. Uh, so we know that these inflammatory chemicals secreted by the fat cells are causing most of the diseases, and these are also responsible for cancers. That's, uh, now, I had not known that. I did not um, link weight and cancer, so that's very interesting. And having said that, now that we've talked about all the reasons that we should have our weight under control, or many of the reasons, now we come to what is successful, because it is such a challenge. And I, I've looked at your book, Fat Me Not, and I really like the introduction. It was very warm about the doctor-patient relationship and your background, and how you, when you were an intern, did an internship, you started to see a correlation between weight and the amount of medication a patient was on. Yes, when uh, in our internship, what we had to do was, and at that time there were not no computers around, so we had to write down the prescription of every single patient. We had to write the patient's name, his date of birth, his address, uh, the name of the prescription, how to take it, and then sign it, and then write my name and this has to be done over and over again for every single prescription so what what we saw was that if the patient is obese or overweight they are more likely to be on more medicines and in turn we'll be writing more prescriptions and taking more time Uh, but that's how we found the correlation between uh, people who are obese are on much more medicine than people who are not obese and that's why losing weight is important which also uh, kind of gets to the point that they are uh, having more diseases and more uh, medications and, of course, more side effects from those medications. So it's just a big cycle that we can get ourselves on. Yes, it's a big vicious cycle because uh, let's talk about insulin, for example. So if somebody's obese, uh, they will be on, say, pills for type 2 diabetes. Uh, but as they get gain more and more weight, eventually we have to put them on insulin injections. Now, insulin injection traps them into a worse cycle because uh, now when they take insulin, the glucose uptake is much improved, and when this glucose gets into the cells, it, cause, it turns into fat and makes them even more obese, which in turn worsens their diabetes even more. So we have to really make sure that they're controlling their diet and not gaining weight on insulin. So here's, here's something I'm going to ask you. I've been a diabetic for a very long time, and I'm a type 1 diabetic, so I, it's different. It was not caused by weight, and, I, and I've had it since I was a child. So something I learned along the way 
with my insulin was in a similar way that to what you're saying, where you take insulin, it gets into the cells, and it creates fat. And in my case, it was hunger. So I found if my sugar was running high, so it could be depending on what I ate, and I had to take a little more insulin than I normally would. So it could be I'm going to use a sauce that was sugary, so maybe Chinese food, and there were some sauces in there that were sugary, and I would eat it, and I would have to allow for more insulin in that meal. I would find that I was hungry a little later on, and so if I eat something extra and I had to take extra insulin, I would get into a vicious cycle where I was chasing what I call chasing my blood sugars. So I would eat something that was higher in sugar, and of course I would compensate it with insulin, so my sugars were fine. But in this chasing and taking extra insulin because I was eating sugary things, I found that I was hungry more and more. Is no, that, that does that make sense? I, I'm hearing this, it, and I tell it, it people does. with diabetes all the time not to get on that cycle because they feel that they're always hungry. But maybe it's because of your eating habits. You know, even though we have insulin, which is fantastic. And especially in type 1, we don't have options. So insulin is the medication. Never mind type 2. That's a whole different um, you know, set of circumstances when it comes to choices of medication. Nevertheless, if you're taking too much insulin, it creates hunger. Uh, that's correct. Uh, there are two diabetes, like you said, type 1 diabetes, uh, in which there is insulin deficiency, usually autoimmune. Uh, type 2 diabetes, where there's Insulin is there, maybe a little less, but more effective on uh, the insulin is not very effective. So when, when, when the body has less insulin or insulin resistance, uh, we are eating more food because the sugar is really not getting into the cells. That's what the insulin does. It pushes the sugar into the cells so cells can use it to create energy or do whatever they want to do. Uh, when... When people take insulin, uh, that process becomes very efficient. You're, whatever you're eating uh, goes into the cells very fast. And uh, one thing I always tell my patient is that if they're on insulin, they don't need to eat that much because now their body is much more efficient in, in utilizing the glucose that's coming into the blood. Uh, so their diet has to be maintained. Uh, we do get into... And like you suggested, uh, that when you take insulin, because this glucose clears up from the blood very fast, it does cause hunger in patients. And that's the time you have to eat very low-calorie food and limit your calories so that, uh, and eat more fibers so that you, you feel full. And this is important. Otherwise, one can get stuck in uh, eating more food, uh, taking more insulin, and that making them eating more food, and that causing uh, serious weight gain making their overall condition worse. Well, it's a vicious cycle. So that's when you, you make someone aware. Take note, if this is happening, that's when you have to be mindful and really cut back on your sugar intake. And as you said, you know, double up on your vegetables. You start to get this under control. Even fruit juice can be, you know, whether it's sweetened or not. I mean, sweetened would just make it worse, but it's still something high in sugar. So if you're in that state where you find that you're taking insulin, wanting something more to eat, having to take more insulin, and you're really noticing your cravings are up, this could be part of the issue, and you need to get that back in check. That is right. So 
that could also could that also be for people not living with diabetes that are at risk that you know they're they're creating an awful lot of insulin if they're obese and it's just it's like a vicious cycle they're eating more they're having to produce more insulin so they're hungry is this all part of the weight gain problem well i think uh, you touched a very important point here and i'm glad you did because eating a lot of refined carbohydrates or a lot of sugar at one time does cause insulin spike in the body our body has uh, uh, receptors so the moment we eat sugar it senses the sugar and it releases insulin based on how much sugar we ate so say if we drink a 16 or 32 ounce of soda uh, in one go now that's a lot of sugar entering the body and what happens is then the insulin spike in our body the amount of insulin that is released would be much higher then we had on the 8 ounce uh, glass of soda so whenever there is a such a big spike of uh, insulin it does cause the same thing one it increases the fat uh, d- uh, fat uh, generation in our body it also uh, whenever the insulin spikes high after few hours you would suddenly feel very hungry because suddenly all that sugar that came in caused increase in insulin and increase in hunger. So really it it all boils down to the same thing. Yes. Pretty close to it. If if when it comes to weight, what we want to do is stop um requiring large amounts of insulin to deal with the amount of sugars that we're eating. That's correct. And we have to really limit how much uh sugar we are eating at one time uh so that we don't have these high insulin spikes. Uh, so if somebody is eating a large cookie, they should break it down into four, and it's better to eat it that one fourth piece every uh, two three hours uh, rather than eating a whole cookie at one time. So is that why they recommend that to lose weight we should be eating small amounts more frequently? Exactly, because if you eat a large amount at one time, that would cause you to have more insulin, uh, more fat generation uh, in the body, and then more uh, seesaw cycles. and that is that is the reason uh, if you would see that many people who just eat once a day and they are surprised why are they gaining weight and not losing weight and the reason it happens is for two reasons one is their metabolic rate drops when they eat only one time a day and uh, number two when they eat one time a day they eat such a large portion causes a very high insulin spike and that causes uh, them to gain weight So eating once a day cuz we now I'm going to touch on the diets now because you people think I'm going to oh I, I eat too much I'm going to cut back I'll just have one meal a day or even in the case of diabetes this has become um something that I hate to hear but it's on the rise and I'm going to call it um diabetic bulimia bulimia in or or there's other words for it but anyways what it means is some especially young female diabetics will cut back on their medications in order not to get these sweets or extra foods they eat into the cell because that does cause weight loss because you're not getting the food you're you're starving yourself and so we that's what they're doing they're taking less amounts of medication eating the same amount but it's spilling out the sugar's spilling out to their urine urine their liver's forced to you know make sugar so that they can function and they're losing weight terrible thing to do very unhealthy 
But if you're not taking medication and you're diabetic, that's what happens. So we give ourselves medication to be able to get this sugar into the cells and live healthy lives. And yet these people are doing it to lose weight. So weight is just a huge issue all over the map. Losing it, gaining it. What are healthy ways of losing weight? Is smaller meals more often Does that work for everyone? Is that really um, the choice to make? Okay, I would start with the uh, with three criteria which everybody needs to evaluate any diet they're going to go on. We do know that there are many diets in the market. We do know many of them work, but the question is, can you stick to it? Uh, so I always tell my patients that when you are looking for a diet to lose weight, you got to make sure it has three criteria. Number one, it it should be easy to do. If a diet is not easy to do, you cannot stick to it. If you cannot stick to a diet, you are going to get rebound weight gain, and that discourages them further from trying it again. And number two, that diet, whatever they eat, should allow them real food, not protein powder, shakes, or something they have to buy, because one, it gets expensive. The second, it's always better to eat real food, your own food, than to deviate from what you're eating. And that does increase uh, the chances that you would sustain that diet. And number three, any diet that, that you go on should change your eating behavior for good. Because if it is does not do that, that diet is temporary. And the moment you decide you're not going to be on it anymore, the weight gain starts coming back as you fall back to your old habits. So these are the three criteria before anybody trying to lose weight should evaluate their diet with. Uh, talking about whether it works for everybody to uh, eat regularly. Now, we know uh, for a fact that uh, the diets of the low-carb diets and the low-fat diets, and these are based on the research done in 1960s, uh, they are not the best diets to follow because uh, whenever you eliminate a food group from your uh, diet, you're going to have more cravings, which decreases your willpower to stick to the diet. Eating a very low-carb diet, is actually uh, like going underwater, that one day you're going to come out and one day you have to breathe. Uh, our body does need carbs and you can just completely eliminate it from the diet. Uh, so but let's, meant- let, can we, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but can we identify sure. carbs? Because I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Currently, I don't eat wheat. I, I really okay. stay away from wheat. And now that is because um, I had a, I had an accident. I had some injuries, and so I was advised that wheat and dairy could cause some inflammation. And so, if I wanted to keep my inflammation down, I should cut down wheat and dairy. But that doesn't mean I'm not getting carbs. No, that doesn't mean because the carbs come into our body from several sources. Rice is a carb. Maize and corn is a carb. Uh, if you look at wheat, is a carb. Uh, I tell my patients usually something, anything white in your food is a carb. So pasta, potato, bread, rice, all these are carbs. But there uh, can be healthier carbs like buckwheat, choosing some of these things over, uh, you know, white bread. Uh, yes. Something uh, because, dense with more fiber. Yes, that's correct. So it's more uh, natural type of food, for, for example, whole wheat rather than polished wheat. Uh, and like wheat bread uh, rather than white bread. So these are better uh, carbs. And the reason they are better carbs is because they have more fiber content. So when you have more fiber content in your food, it reduces the rate at which the sugar is absorbed from your body. 
and that decreases that spike of high sugar in your blood and that in turn decreases the spike of insulin in your blood. So you're right, there are uh, wild rices there, so high fiber content carbs are better. Uh, for example, if you have to choose between candy and a fruit, a strawberry is better than choosing a candy because candy is pure refined sugar, whereas strawberry has uh, a lot of fiber in it in addition to its sucrose. The and vitamins, I mean, it's going to break down completely different. Uh, the breakdown in your body is completely different than having a candy. Definitely. For a candy, uh, the breaking down is much simpler for the body and the most of that sugar gets absorbed. Whereas if you're eating a fruit, uh, the fiber content in it slows down the rate of absorption of sugar. So an easy way to explain this, perhaps, in a case of a diabetic, is low blood sugars. So if you have a low blood sugar where you actually require sugar, so you've got more insulin and you've got to, you have to feed, I'm going to say feed this insulin with some sugars. And in that case, you want something fast-acting. I know in my, from my own personal experience, and again, this is just my own personal experience, if I feel that my blood sugar is dropping and I have time, in other words, it's not really low, but I know it's dropping, I will eat my sugar, meaning I will have fruit and I will eat it. If I don't have time, I'm having juice or I'm having candy. But those two things work quickly. And that's the difference between the two where, the, as you said, the fruit, you're eating it. It's a better choice, but it's absorbed slightly slower than if you're going to juice or candy. And that is immediate. That is a fast hit. And if you're dealing with a low blood sugar, depending on where your sugar is and how low it is, that's your choice. You can eat it and still raise your blood sugar a little slower than having immediate where you want that candy, you want that juice. So there is quite a difference in choices of sugar and how they react in your body. And I think you're right. And uh, one thing we should emphasize to the listeners is that low blood sugar can kill you faster than high blood sugar. And that's why it is very important that low sh blood sugar is, is being managed. So some of the symptoms of low blood sugar could be uh, breaking out into sweats, uh, shaking knees, uh, not feeling very weak, uh, feeling very hungry, or blurred vision. So these are usually the more common side effects of I mean, symptoms of uh, low blood sugar. And like you said, if it is just slightly low, you can treat it with a better sugar like fruits. If it is really going down very fast and you really think you might end up in a coma or you may pass out, uh, eating a candy or eating a orange juice or maybe glucose pills from the uh, store are much faster uh, in getting your sugar up honey, anything like that that's going to really boost you. And we really have to be mindful of these low blood sugars. We always talk about, and I'm glad we touched on this, because we always talk about high blood sugars, high blood sugars, high blood sugars, because we want to keep them low. That's how we've identified that we're diabetics. But low blood sugars are not a good thing either. And if you're keeping your management tight, you are susceptible to low blood sugars. So testing is the key. You know, if you don't have time to test and you feel that you're shaky or your speech is even off, I find that people's speech can go off or they have a feeling as if they're intoxicated um, from alcohol, deal with it first. Test your blood sugar to know, but don't just guess and say, well, maybe, well, I shouldn't have sugar or I don't want to. Eat something, test, and know where you're at. And that will also help you identify what it feels like for you to have a low blood sugar. What are some of the signs 
that you can identify with when your sugar starts to drop. And everybody has different signs uh, when the sugar goes low, and once you experience it, it's uh, very uh, easy to remember next time. And it's, uh, it can, as you said, it is very different. I was talking with a client on the phone, and they started to hesitate in their speech, and they lost their way in their conversation. And so it worried them. And I said, get your tester now, get some sugar. So they got some juice, and they got their tester, and they were drinking the juice as they were testing the sugar, and their sugar was low. They had not experienced this, and they had been a diabetic for four years, type 2. So... It can happen to us, even though this person's sugar it was at a fairly decent rate at that point. It had been running high. They had not experienced one. So we really have to be mindful and, and start testing and gauging. And if you don't test, you don't know. So we're always afraid of those high blood sugars, but we should be wary of the low ones. And having said that, very important when we're dieting. So the food groups, I can see, you know, we can't cut out carbs completely. And you have a, a list of myths here, which I think is wonderful. You've got 10 myths in your book on dieting. And right. one of them is, uh, will eating carbs make me fat? And that's one something we want to touch, really emphasize on people trying to lose weight is, and there are many myths uh, which actually cause Either it causes weight gain or it prevents us from losing weight and we get discouraged because we are falling into that myth. And yes, one of them is that eating carbs will make you gain weight. Now, eating too much carbs or eating too much refined sugar or refined carbs will make you gain weight. But your body does need some amount of carbs just to survive. And if we don't give our body that amount of carbs, uh, what it will do is it will trigger cravings for junk food because our body knows how to get these. And when we end up uh, eating some junk food, try to get those carbs in, we feel we failed in our diet. But that's not the case. The diet was set up for failure just because it eliminated complete carbs. Which, in my way of thinking, I thought com a mil taking carbs completely or diet was impossible because... Is a carb, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way, but isn't a carb just really the amount of sugar taken in, and that's how uh, they measure a carb? So, for instance, if you're eating fruit or drinking, pardon me, juice, okay, we know it's juice, we know it's fruit, but once it breaks down the body when it comes to sugar, can we not equate that to a carb count? No, we can equate that to a carb count. You're right about that. So, yes, completely eliminating carbs from our diet is impossible. Uh, but then there are uh, low or no-carb diets, which uh, many times make people do that. So it's traditional carbs that they're looking at. They're looking at breads, they're looking at pasta, they're looking at rice, they're looking at potato. But when you are actually looking at a carb count on a nutritional label, it could have carbs in it, but really it's a carb, that sugar is coming from fruit. Or it could be coming from, you know, healthier choices. And I think that's where this whole confusion of carbs comes in. Because when it comes to, I would think, weight loss or weight period and diabetes, carbs are really sugars in your body. And where are you getting the carbs? Where are you getting these sugars from? And how, what is the source? How healthy are they? And how quickly are they getting into the body where they're spiking the blood sugar? 
And also with this, I would like to emphasize one more thing is uh, that many times we feel uh, fruits are a healthy thing to eat. But we should always remember that if we eat too much fruits, that itself can cause weight gain because ultimately too much carbs is not good for us. Uh, so, so that's why, well, especially in diabetes, we recommend not more than one fruit a day. Uh, people who don't have diabetes also need to control the amount of food they eat. I had a patient of mine. Uh, he was more than 300 pounds, but he didn't eat meat. He didn't eat bread. And I kept on asking him, what do you eat? And I found out that he was e eating humongous amount of fruits every day, thinking they were healthy. And that was causing his weight gain. So we had to actually bring in, cut down his, even his fruits. Uh, so one thing to know is uh, too much sugar from almost any source is bad. And that's where I think the carb confusion comes in. Because I've heard, you know, people that have been newly diagnosed say to me, well, I, you know, I'm a diabetic, I can't have carbs. And so I, I, what do you mean by you can't have carbs? They're looking at that as a sugar and they're thinking fruit is nowhere near a carb when in actual fact it is sugar. So really we should just be looking at carbs to make it simple, in my mind, carbs is a sugar. Where are you getting your carbs from? Is it a healthy choice? Are you eating too much of any one thing? And how quickly is this carb getting absorbed into your body, such as juice, f too many fruits? They might be healthier in your mind for vitamins, and um, they're great, but they're not great when it comes to your sugars. Again, increasing your amount of insulin and then you get into a vicious cycle where you're eating more. So it's really about balance. Yes, balance is very important in diet, and that's what more and more research is showing that a balanced diet is the best way to lose weight. So people should, uh, number one, make sure to eat their breakfast because not eating breakfast can reduce your metabolic rate, make you gain weight. And also they should eat three to four times a day, which is even more important in diabetics because they are on medications or insulin. And once they take their medication, if they don't eat, they are at risk of getting low blood sugar. Uh, so it is very important to eat balanced diet and eat it regularly. So I'm going to go through some of your myths. I, I, this is, I think there's just so many people have these questions. If you don't eat, you will lose weight. That's myth number one. And that's the myth number one is, uh, yes, many people either don't eat or they say, I'm going to skip a meal. I'm not going to eat. For, I'm going to eat only one, one time a day. And that would help me lose weight. But that is not true. Research is showing that when you don't eat regularly, when you skip meals or eat one time a day, you are increasing the fasting time of your body anywhere between 18 to 22 hours. And when you do that, your metabolic rate drops by more than 60%. Your body starts conserving energy. It drops your metabolic rate. So when you eat, it doesn't get consumed as energy. It gets stored as fat. So skipping meals, not eating enough actually can cause weight gain. And that hits on myth number two, which is if you only eat once a day, you will lose weight. So we've already kind of hit on that with your, your answer that that's not equaling success. Your myth number three is diet sugar and diet drinks are good for losing weight. Well, many people think that, uh, you know, diet sugar and diet drinks are zero calorie. So if you take in zero calorie, how can you gain weight? Well, when we drink diet sugar, we are basically trying to fool our body into thinking that 
uh, in fact, fool our brain into thinking that uh, we are uh, taking in sugar. But after a few weeks, your brain realizes that it's not getting sugar when it craves sugar because you are substituting it with artificial sweetener. So what it does, it, it switches that craving to junk food. I have had patients who have severe craving to junk food, which is their primary cause of gaining weight. And that craving does not go away until we stop their artificial sweeteners and diet drinks. In fact, there was a research done in which they uh, did MRIs on the brain of uh, people who drank at least one diet drink a day. And they found that their brain had rewired itself and there has been circuit changes and it's responded more towards craving towards junk food. So we know that artificial sweeteners, even though they are zero calorie, they are the ones which are responsible to decrease your willpower to uh, stay away from bad food. And number four is fast food is bad. Yes. and But fine dining think, is okay. Yes. Many times we think, uh, you know, fast food does have a bad reputation that uh, they have more processed uh, sugar and processed carbs in there, uh, causing more weight gain. But does that mean uh, fine dining is okay? It is not okay because even in fine dining, uh, there is a lot more use of uh, butter and fat in the gravies and things like that. So we have to be very mindful of what we are eating, not where we are eating. Uh, for example, if you order a gravy, uh, gravy, uh, if you order, uh, you know, your pasta and stuff, ask them to put the sauce or the gravy on the side because that has a lot of butter in it. Uh, so we have to be very mindful of what we are eating and where we are eating. I like that. I like the fact that it's what we are eating, not where we're eating. So fine dining is is deemed to be healthier when actually, great point, it's not necessarily healthier. Your next point is eating salad and grilled chicken is the way to go for weight loss. I love that because we all think that. And one of the reasons we do that is to eliminate carbs in the diet. So salads is a way to fill your stomach. Uh, the Protein is the meat part of it, uh, but then the question is where are the carbs? So if we try to just eat salad and chicken uh, in one meal, what we have done is we have skipped the carb part of uh, the diet. So now it is not a balanced diet. And a few hours later when, when your body realizes it needs carbs, then it will trigger uh, craving for junk food. And that's when people start eating snacks to cover that up. And that causes an over-response and uh, gaining weight. So any time that you eat, the diet has to be balanced. Even one time when you uh, skip carbs completely, you are, uh, your craving for junk food later in the day increases. So, and again, a carb doesn't have to be a piece of bread. It could be other things that are healthy, healthier choices when it comes to a carb sugar Yes, like you could throw, throw in fruits in your salad, so that would kind of cover up the car portion of it. Okay, great tip. So it doesn't have to be traditional bread when you're saying carb. It has to be a sugar that equates to a carb. Mm, that's great. And healthier, and we want to pick healthy choices, just like when it comes to fast food and fine dining. It's about the choice. We want to make healthy choices. Here's myth number six. Exercise is everything in weight loss. Um, many times we all exercise and many times we all postpone our uh, weight loss plan because we are looking for an optimal time to start exercising. Uh, but what we have found out in research that exercise only contributes 10% to your weight loss or weight loss efforts. 
uh, most of it, 90% of is what we eat, how we eat, and how much we eat. So 90% is what we are eating, how much we are eating, and how we are eating. Uh, so, so for people who cannot exercise, and many times uh, many obese people don't have the stamina to start exercising right away, the good news is you don't have to exercise. You just have to watch your food intake, and that would help you lose weight much faster than exercising. And it's funny, in a previous episode, I, I, I talk about that, where I used to think it was a 70% diet, 30% exercise, and then I said to myself in this previous episode, it's, it really feels like it's more 90% diet, 10% exercise. And that's not saying we shouldn't exercise in any form, walking, something to keep our bodies moving. But really, when it comes to weight loss, it's what we're eating, period. Uh, yes, most focus should go on what we are eating. Now, you can always boost your uh, weight loss by exercising. That's why that 10% is important. And especially in diabetics, activity improves their glucose uptake and improves their sugar. So we cannot tell them not to exercise. But again, it's not all about exercise when you're losing weight uh, because many people exercise every day and they don't lose weight because they have not modified their diet. So the more emphasis should be on um, making sure your diet is right than exercising. And I know a lot of people that get frustrated with that. So they're exercising and they're exercising, but they don't, they think they can eat whatever they want because they're exercising and they're doing this excessive exercising to lose weight. They're still eating incorrectly and then they become discouraged in their, their workout program. So it can be a vicious cycle if we don't modify our diets. Yes, in fact, I had a patient of mine, and she came to me very frustrated because she was exercising 45 minutes a day for almost two years, every single day, and she was not even losing a pound of weight. So uh, many people, you are right, are focusing more on exercise and not correcting what they're eating because it should be other way around, that correcting what you're eating would cause 90% of the weight loss you're going to get, and exercise would give you that additional 10% boost. And it's good for us. We should be moving. It helps tone the body. There's lots of benefits. But what you eat, you are what you eat. Let's face it. Eating carbs will make you fat. Well, we just touched on that. So we did talk quite a bit about that myth. But switch from caffeine to decaffeinated to lose weight. How much truth is there to that? Well, there is no truth to that. Uh, Caffeine, drinking coffee, tea, uh, does not really impact your weight at all. So... Uh, that's the reason we had put that myth in the book. Well, I'm glad you did because I've shared um, in previous episodes that I drank quite a bit of caffeine. And I've recently cut it back because, uh, and I'm greatly, in fact, I'm not, I, I really don't drink caffeine. And um, I, I did it for many reasons, but none of them about sleep, weight gain, or jitters. It was more about choices of beverage. I drank caffeine because I was looking for um, beverages that were had some taste that didn't have the sugar. And of course, tea and coffee were high on the list and I don't add sugar. I don't use milk. If anything, I use a little bit of almond milk. So I really started to drink a lot of it. And now I have found other choices besides water that have some flavor and I'm not getting the sugar content. But at no time did that affect my weight. So I'm always curious on that myth on why when people start a weight loss program, they say cut out the caffeine because it can be difficult. 
And yes, you don't want to make your life too difficult when trying to lose weight. Like I said, your diet has to be easy to do. And uh, if somebody's trying to, you know, cut down on the bad food, cut down on the sodas they like, uh, and if on top of that, if they have to cut out caffeine, uh, giving them withdrawal headaches, uh, that can make it a little bit more difficult for them to stick to the diet. Absolutely. Your ninth myth is eating sweets, desserts, and chocolate are no you they are no nos when it comes to weight loss uh, that's also a myth and we wanted to emphasize to people that yes they can have desserts now especially with diabetics uh, it's a different story they can have very little if at all uh, but people who are not diabetics uh, they can have desserts uh, the idea is to make sure that what they eat are has a fiber content to it and they're eating a limited amount. So if you want ice cream instead of three scoops, one scoop of ice cream and then you can top it with some strawberries to add some fiber to it. Now that's a better way of eating dessert. But if we don't want people to completely skip desserts because that's one of the joys of life. And it is. And in other episodes I've talked about making you know, chocolate pudding with a um, avocado, keeping the sugars down, but having that chocolate fix satisfied and having just that rich, smooth dessert and treating yourself, but keeping the sugars down. There's always things like that we can look at, especially in the case of diabetes or general health. Obesity is health, uh, sorry, obesity is healthy and there is nothing wrong with it. Now, is that really a myth? <laughs> uh, that. <laughs> Well, we have seen on television many people arguing uh, obesity is okay because they don't have any, uh, you know, blood test abnormality. They don't have any disease. They're just obese. And uh, really nothing else is going wrong with them. And uh, our answer is uh, that it was quite late uh, when CDC started recognizing obesity as a disease. Uh, Before that, it was just called a condition. Uh, So it is important that people understand that obesity is a disease. Obesity increases your risk of heart attacks. It increases your risk of strokes. It can cause kidney failure due to inflammation and causing diabetes, putting them uh, on dialysis. It can cause cancers. It can cause sleep apnea. It can cause joint pain. Now, now, uh, I agree, not everybody would get every complication of of obesity, Um, but it does increase your risk for getting those complications. And that's why we emphasize that being obese is not normal and you should always try to treat it before you get complications of obesity. I'm a type 1 and I was a child when I um, developed diabetes. Our diets were very basic. They were strict, but they were basic. So we had a choice from a food, uh, a meat group, a protein we had a choice from carbs, and they were simple carbs, as in whether you're going to pick breads, pastas, rice, what have you. There was a fruit group, and there was a dairy group, and that's how we kept things simple. And we would pick and choose amounts that were laid out by a dietitian in these groups, and we would come up with a calorie count per day, and that's how we based our insulin. So that was what we did, and we measured the medication. We didn't really gauge our own medication. We didn't have some of the lovely testing equipment that we have now. It was quite primitive, and it was all through our urine testing. 
And so it was very important to have these strict diets. Then the diets became easier and we had more choices. And if we were hungry, we could give extra insulin. And we just didn't take it once a day. We took it multiple times a day. They really advised us to do that. So it became easier to manage. And yet it's still a struggle for people. Every day we know more about food. We have more choices. And yet it's such a struggle because I think we do pendulum. A lot of people got caught up when they were given more choices. They went rampant with them. But now we we know so much more about food. So in a carb choice, it, it there's such a big variation. It's not just have a piece of bread anymore, especially in a case of a diabetic. You could substitute that with half an apple. You could substitute that with, as you said, strawberries. Or if you're, you've got so many carbs you can have in a meal and you want to go for something that's a little more carb-based now and again, and let's, I'm going to use Italian, where you know instead of having that piece of fruit, maybe you have a little bit of bread with the pasta. So it's really, really being mindful of what we're eating and being engaged of where we're getting our sources of sugar. And is that something that you touch on? At, well, I know you touch on it, but you really encourage people in your book is the sources? Uh, yes, the book is uh, designed to help people understand the research behind uh, why they are advised to do what they are advised to do. And so we do touch base with how different foods kind of help them, uh, you know, avoid processed and refined carbs and yet have the same pleasure. Now, I'm just I'm having a little browse at the book at the moment, and I, I love this. Fat just can't melt, melt away through tropical creams and magical rays. Uh, well, weight loss industry is a big business. It's a $16 billion business. And with such a big amount of money which is in weight loss comes unscrupulous elements which promote virtually anything. Uh, we have seen people promoting powders to sprinkle on their food uh, to lose weight. We have had people promoting creams that they can put on their body and that would help them lose weight. Uh, so there is a lot of misinformation in this industry and that is one thing our book is trying to, uh, you know, eliminate. So when you talk about the research that was done, and a lot of these diets are based on research that was done, let's say, in the 60s, versus current research done by scientists in labs that have worked very hard um, to obtain this information. What would you say are the biggest um, differences between outlooks in the 60s and the current data that has been collected? Yeah, that's a good question. The biggest difference we see is that uh, in the 60s, uh, more focus was on restricting the diet, restricting what you cannot eat. And as the research getting more and more advanced, more of it is focused on how these foods affect our metabolism, how this food affects our cravings, uh, and how, why when you are dieting good and one day you eat a piece of cake and suddenly your diet derails. Is, is We don't realize that piece of cake can actually modify our behavior on what we are going to eat for next few hours. So if you eat a big piece of cake one day after being on diet for six weeks, uh, that can derail your diet just by changing your eating behavior. So more focus is on what the food does to us, uh, both psychologically as well as metabolically, and more focus is on balanced food, 
rather than limitations which were in 1950s and 1960s, like the low-carb diet and low-fat diet at that time. And again, I think we beat ourselves up, like you said, about that. Now I've made it less important, and I look at my scent situation at any given time, and um, sometimes I need to eat something sweet because my sugar could drop. So it is about balance, and it's looking at your choices overall, but not beating yourself over up over a piece of cake. What about alcohol and its effect on weight loss? Uh, somebody brought it to my attention. They, they were sampling wines, and they said, oh, this wine is lower in calories. And I thought, well, I don't drink a lot of wine. And I was listening to them about the calories and thought, I had no idea that wine had that many calories. And so they were telling me that the lowest amount in a regular serving of wine was still 100 calories. I had no idea that it was that high. And, and this was, um, you know, on, on the sugar ratio, this was on the low end, if not zero. And it still had, for a few ounces, it had um, 100 calories, which was quite surprising because a lot of people that are drinking wine with their meal, I don't think they really appreciate the amount of calories that they're adding to their meal. And yes, and those calories need to be counted for when we are trying to lose weight. Now, does that equate to fat, those calories? or uh, I'm confused because it still is alcohol. Right. It is the calories from the compound alcohol. So it's a chemical. Alcohol is a chemical. And uh, just like we have carbs, it's kind of similar to carbs with a slight difference uh, in the molecular structure. And it does have more calories per gram than uh, carbs. So it's even more dangerous than carbs. Really? And weight gain. And yet you see people, especially, you know, men that are trying to lose weight, they'll cut back on some things, but they'll still drink beer and they can still lose weight. Um, it, that always surprises me because I always thought of beer as being the most calorie-dense drink that you could have yes, beer when it came to cal- alcohol. Yes, I agree with you. Cal- beer has high calories and... and uh, you know, people drink alcohol quite a bit. It does increase your appetite too. So when people drink, they eat more and ultimately everything causes weight gain. So that's where you can get into, I'm imagining, carb, uh, insulin requirement, whether it's your own insulin, artificial insulin, but it requires more. And then, as you said, you become hungry and you can get into that vicious cycle. Right. So why do they say, and we're on alcohol for just a moment, but beer belly. Why do they say beer belly? If alcohol all causes weight, whether it's wine or, you know, a spirit, why is beer associated with abdominal weight gain? Well, what they found out was beer drinkers, especially in Europe, uh, they started developing beer belly, so which was due to all these high calories they are ingesting. Uh, it started accumulating in their uh, abdomen, abdominal area, which is one of the most dangerous part of uh, where the, your fat could be because it causes more incidence of diabetes like we discussed before. So beer belly is a term which is kind of a, a slang term which came for this visceral fat that gets deposited when people drink a lot of beer and they're ingesting a lot of calories because of it. Well, they're sure not changing it to brown fat. <laughs> oh, yeah, this most likely is white fat. Right. And and again, um I guess we don't have the appreciation what alcohol is in calories and how can it, it can affect the body when it comes to our weight programs. We just hear now and again, don't drink, but really what is the logic behind it? And I don't think 
in, in cases like spirits and wine, again, beer has always had the label of being, you know, the bad guy, but it can be all, all alcohol from what I'm hearing. It can't be any alcohol. It could be your whiskey, it could be your gin, it could be the beer or even the wine, like you said. So your book really touches on balance and current information, and this is up-to-date information on what we know about losing weight? Yes, we have tried to accumulate all the latest research and help people understand why they need to do what they need to do to lose weight. And losing weight is not that difficult. It's very simple, as long as you know what you're doing is right. What about body shape? You actually have something in your book called How to Improve the Shape of Your Body. Uh, This part is uh, basically touching on how we can, uh, we can, you know, use it to our advantage, our body shape. For example, people who are pear-shaped have more fat in their buttock and thigh area. And these are the people who are less at risk than when you have abdominal obesity, which are more apple-shaped body. So the focus on body shaping is to make sure to get rid of this abdominal fat or the visceral fat, which is causing us to gain weight And, and causing problems. Versus other parts of your body that you're, if you're heavy, you're heavy, in my opinion. So if you're, if you've got to lose weight, you've got to lose weight. I understand the risks um, become greater when it comes to your health if it's abdominals. But you know, you pick up a magazine, lose your belly fat, lose the fat in your thighs, lose the fat in your arms. Is is it possible just to target an area rather than just lose weight overall? Isn't that really the goal? Can we just um, target an area we really cannot target any area unless uh, you're using you know nowadays we got this cool sculpting and other lasers which can target an area liposuction can target an area but they are not removing the fat which is causing us uh, problems it's not removing the fat which causes high risk diseases so for us like you said losing weight in general is more important and when we lose weight the abdominal uh, weight starts going away too. So it's, it is about overall weight loss. It would be very difficult to lose, when they say lose your belly fat, well, isn't that just losing weight overall? Is there such a, a thing as just losing your belly fat? Uh, not really. You are basically losing weight all over and the, all the fat stores in the body are getting depleted uh, at different rates. Uh, so losing the belly fat basically means we are trying to lose fat. So going out and doing, I don't know, you hear crazy amounts of crunches and abdominal exercises. They're great, but that's not going to mean you have success if you don't have the proper diet. If you're not doing just exercise overall. And and the key from what I'm hearing is to build muscle, to work on resistance or uh, lifting weights. But it's really about building muscle. Right, and also our core muscles, they are important because core muscles is your muscles in the back and muscles of the stomach, muscles of your thigh and arms and shoulders. So these are the bigger muscles of your body, and when you exercise them, you get much more return in terms of muscle building. So that's why core muscle exercise is very important. So maybe that's what they're touching on when they say these ads it looks all very confusing, and all we're hearing is, get rid of your belly, get rid of your belly. When what they're saying is, here's ways of focusing when it comes to muscle building in these areas. Right, core muscles, and that would uh, eliminate a lot of fat by turning white fat to brown fat.
which helps us burn fat, and then diet being the key. So there's so many things um, to keep in mind. It's not that simple, but yet it can be simple. That's great. So exercise and building, not focusing as much on cardio as much as doing some uh, weight weights or resistance or something to build your muscle and helping with brown fat because brown fat is going to um, help us burn calories and be more efficient and reducing our white fat count. And 90% of our weight comes from what we eat, not lack of exercise. Absolutely. Very interesting. So it is important to keep this in balance, but you really think 10% is enough to get that brown fat increased? Uh, yes, a little bit of exercise and muscle building uh, can uh, start turning our white fat into brown fat and putting it in a fat-burning mode. So so we should do exercise, and in addition to aerobics, like I said, strength training exercise is very important. So anything simple to start um, I know that if you really have a lot of problems with your weight and it's affected your joints, it can be difficult to choose an exercise. So something that's going to um, give you the most bang for your buck. What about swimming from the beginning? Because that really takes some pressure off the joints, going in the water and exercise. Does that give you anything when it comes to your muscle? Oh, yes. Uh, swimming is a great exercise. It is also aerobic, and it also has resistance because water has a lot of resistance when you're moving. So it does. it's a very good exercise for core muscles. So swimming probably would be one of the exercises which can do both aerobic and strength training. And during this time, well, always I would imagine, but keeping your um, protein levels or intakes up a little bit, is does that not help in building muscle? It does, because when you're exercising, your body needs protein to build muscles. So uh, research has shown that especially protein eaten within the first hour of exercising is very helpful in building muscles. So, yes, protein intake should be increased. And when we say protein, what do you think of these protein bars? In, in my opinion, as a diabetic, a lot of them are like eating chocolate bars. I agree. And we don't recommend protein bars and shakes. Uh, we recommend if you want to eat protein, eat real protein. You can eat fish, you can eat chicken, you can eat uh, meat. Uh, and that also is important that not to eat these processed proteins, which our body does not use calories to digest. If you eat a good healthy protein, a natural protein like meat, uh, your body does a lot of work to digest it and it consumes almost 30% of the calories of that meat just in the process of digesting. So that is way better than drinking a protein shake in which you get 100% of its calories. Well, see, this is the big myth because you, you see here all this, oh, my protein shake, oh, I've forgotten my protein shake or my protein bar, I've just, working, I've just worked out. And they equate this to weight loss and, and building muscle. But really, as what you're saying, is it all? It's not really all that effective necessarily. Uh, that's correct. It is not because when you are drinking a protein shake, it just goes into your stomach and it's easily absorbed because it's mainly in an amino acid form. Uh, but when you eat a piece of steak, your body has to chew it, crush it, uh, give enzymes to digest it, and that uses a lot of calories. So you're not only eating, but you're also exercising just by eating a natural food. So after you work out, have something planned. Instead of having something easy like a protein shake or a protein bar, it may be a better choice for you to have some kind of 
uh, protein planned after you, you work out, and you're saying within an hour of working out, it's best to have this protein? Yes, and you know, you can even have a boiled egg after you finish workout rather than having a protein bar. What about uh, these raw protein bars? Is that in the same category? I actually was making some for a little while to try them out. I would use um, a clean protein, as I called it. So it had the um, had no hormones or antibiotics in the protein. Some of them I would try plant-based proteins, and I would add them into nuts, and I use a little bit of honey or agave, and I would form a bar. And I would eat that after I worked out sometimes. Is that still uh, a bad choice? I haven't done that in quite some time, but I did try that for a while. Right. I just want to know, when when you say raw protein, uh, what kind of protein do you put it? Like it's like meat or is... No, it was a powder, but it was in a clean source. So it could be protein from a plant base. If it was a whey protein, which came from animals, it had the animals did not have any hormones or antibiotics in them. Yeah, I would recommend to eat natural proteins rather than because all the whey protein and other um, protein which are in powdered form are mainly already digested to a point that they are ready for absorption. So we want our body to work to digest a protein and not just get a simplified version of absorbable protein. And yet you see all these um, fellas that are and women that are uh, bodybuilders and they eat these um, or they have these powdered forms of protein why would that be so important to them this is about just building muscle or is it about weight loss no that is just about building muscles so when you are just focused on building muscles maybe protein powder is good because you are trying to get as much protein into your system as possible and as quickly Uh, but when you're trying to lose weight you're not trying to get all the protein in you're trying to make your body work for it so in, in a case of building muscle, you could see why someone would use a protein powder. But when it comes to managing your weight or losing weight, it's far better to eat it in a natural form. That's correct. What about vegetarians? And as you said, you had a, a patient that was not eating meat, not eating certain things, but still had to lose weight. So what would be a great choice for a vegetarian after working out? Now, for great choice for vegetarians would be uh, they could have tofu. They could have, uh, if they can eat eggs, then they can have eggs. Uh, many of the proteins are in pulses, uh, which is very common in many of the Indian uh, cookings. Uh, lentils uh, is the other name for it. So they have more proteins in it. But vegetarians definitely have much more challenging time trying to get proteins than uh, non-vegetarians. So beans, things like that, if they can eat fish, have Uh, some fish? Yeah, well, uh, vegetarians most likely would not eat uh, fish because they do consider it part of, you know, uh, animal-produced food. Uh, But, uh, yes, any protein is good. If they can eat egg, many times vegetarians would still eat eggs, in my experience. So that's something that has a lot of protein in it, especially the white part of the egg. So egg whites are a good option? Egg whites is a good option. And when I, uh, I've read some studies saying that just egg whites aren't great for you, and this is the problem. We, we hear so many studies, don't do this, don't do that, take this, take that. So if you were to have a boiled egg, that little bit of 
um, the let's say the orange part of the egg, the fatty part of the egg. So we've been told it's not going to necessarily hurt you. What about cholesterol levels while you're doing this? If you had a couple of eggs a day hard boiled while you're on a weight loss program, is that putting any pressure or adding any other problems to your health? Uh, Cholesterol uh, is mainly in the yellow part of the egg. Uh, So that's where it is. And one... One egg a day usually does not cause too much cholesterol problems, uh, but it depends on people and their metabolism and things like that. So if they already have a high cholesterol, then of course they need to avoid uh, too much of egg yellow. But if they have a normal cholesterol and they're exercising and they're eating right, uh, they can have one egg a day. So we should be mindful of how many boiled eggs we are eating after we're working out. Mm, That's correct. And if they want to eat more protein, they can choose the egg white part of it and leave the egg yellow part of it out for most of the eggs they are eating. Well, it's such a, a great topic that we've we've touched on today because it's so important to keep our weight down for all kinds of health reasons. But really, um, diabetes and weight management and being at risk of diabetes because of your weight is is so huge at the moment and down to diabetes and weight and your relationships with your family and how um, it can cause so much stress because you hear you shouldn't be eating that you shouldn't be eating that you're going to get diabetes you are a diabetic and everything that goes along with it it's such a huge issue and can cause so many problems in so many areas but such a difficult thing to do. It sounds easy, but it really is a difficult thing to do, keeping our weight in check. And your book seems to give some very easy steps, simple steps, and a lot of information um, that's supportive of this and why certain things are the way they are in your body, why we need them, in other words. Um, and I really, as I look through this, I'm finding it a great resource uh, yes, that's what we did with our book, Fat Me Not, is to make sure people understand the basic scientific way our body works. And it's not logical, it's biological. So they have to understand how our biology works, and that would in turn make it, make it easy for them to lose weight. But the big factor is you have to want to. You have to start. Exactly. And there has to be that commitment. Definitely. And it's simple. It's not that difficult. They just need to know what's the right way to do it. And so if somebody is first starting out and uh, just ruled the thumb, they should be mindful of their um, what their weight size is and identifying how at risk they are of diabetes or where they're sitting on, whether you're just a little overweight, obese, or greatly, um, I, I don't even know the term, beyond obese. What was the term that you had used? Uh, morbidly obese. Morbidly obese. They should really be mindful of their weight size. Should we be focusing on numbers as much on the scale? Well, like you said, testing and knowing where you stand is much easier way of managing your weight. If you don't know, we cannot treat it. So we do recommend people weigh themselves regularly to see where they stand in terms of losing weight. And so that that will help gauge. But really, at the beginning, you're saying that measurements are quite important when it comes to your abdominal area. Yes, less than 40 inches in men and less than 36 inches in women is the ideal way to go. And, and asking our doctor, now they can do this at the gym too, asking your doctor or healthcare professional about your BMI. 
Yes, every every doctor measures your BMI, and they may not mention it to you, but if you ask them, they can quickly look it up and tell you what your BMI is. And it should be really under 25? Uh, we recommend it to be under 25. And at under 25, you still could have some weight issues, could you not? Uh, usually the BMI between 20 to 25 is considered to be normal weight, uh, so you don't have weight issues, but uh, 25 to 30 is overweight but not obese, and in that area you could still have some weight issues. So the importance of keeping our weight down really does reduce um, the risk of getting diabetes. Can we actually reverse diabetes? And I'm not talking about type 1 at the moment, although I do know that if you keep your weight in check, your medication will go down, and of course the body will function much better. But in the case of type 2, do you have any cases where you've seen people actually reverse diabetes and get off insulin, even even if it's gone to the point where they're taking insulin, not pills anymore? Can they reverse it by losing weight? Have you seen any examples of that? Uh, yes, we have seen examples of people totally coming off the insulin when they lose weight. I had a patient who was 350 pounds. Uh, he lost 70 pounds. And after that, we took him off his insulin, and we took him off most of his blood pressure medicines and cholesterol medicines. So uh, also there are reports that after bariatric surgery, the massive weight loss also reverses diabetes. So it is possible to reverse diabetes, especially when it is caused by your weight. And can your doctor identify on your cause of diabetes? Is it could If you're overweight, would that be the sole reason, or could there be a combination of reasons still? Well, there could be a combination of reasons still. Some people uh, may have pancreatitis uh, in the past, which might have caused them diabetes. Some people may have family history, genetic predisposition. So uh, not all of the people have just weight as the sole issue, but weight is a big issue in diabetes. If you are overweight or obese, your risk of diabetes is doubled. And so many reasons to keep, again, we, I keep saying this, but to keep our weight in, in, um, in good management. And your book is a great resource and to support this with current information. Um, I, I really enjoyed having a look at this, and this has really been insightful. I had no idea what brown fat was, but I was hearing a lot about this. And so clearing that up, so brown fat's good, white fat's not, but not an easy thing to detect and not something you can go to your doctor for, obviously but it shows up in your health. That's true. So the more muscle you have, the less white fat, not that you have to be a bodybuilder, but the more brown fat, because I'm hearing an awful lot about brown fat, and now I know why. So a big mystery cleared up for myself, that's for sure. Well, I have to thank you for joining me today. This has been wonderful and um, very insightful when it comes to weight loss and keeping things simple, um, looking at what works for you, so that you can stick to it and making these positive changes in order to have a good outcome when it comes to our weight and not developing diabetes or high blood pressure, uh, cholesterol issues, or all of them. And that's why they say, is that why they say diabetes? And I'm asking another question as I'm, I'm closing up here, but is that why they say diabetes, cholesterol, and high blood pressure can all go hand in hand? Is it a weight issue? Uh, yes, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, and cholesterol, they all go in hand in hand. And this is more than a weight issue. It's uh, an issue of inflammation all over our body. And weight uh, and the fat cells are the primary triggers of it.
of this inflammation which causes these issues. So really when you're losing this weight and you're eating in a healthy way and you're trying to do some exercise and focusing on resistance or uh, weight-bearing exercises to build muscle, you are solving a whole lot of issues or making them better. Yes, and weight, weight is the primary way of reducing your risk for many problems, not just diabetes. But I was very curious on that um, coalition between um, diabetes and high blood pressure and um, cholesterol. And from what I'm hearing, it really, it's diabetes, but it's about the weight gain around that. Uh, yes, because all of these issues, they go hand in hand and they together wreak more havoc on the body than just diabetes alone. That's fascinating. Well, again, thank you for joining me today. Um, this has been very interesting and insightful and a great book. Great book. Fat Me Not. Where can we get this? Uh, Fat Me Not is available on Amazon.com. It's also available on our website, fatmenotbook.com. It is also available with most major retailers such as barnesandnobles.com and booksamillion.com. And is this all online or can we walk into the bookstore and actually get it? Well, this is all online and some of the bookstores are carrying it. And if not, you can always ask your bookstore to uh, get it for you. And it's also available on Kindle and all e-readers, which is nowadays getting very popular. So we can take it anywhere with us, whether we have a, a device or in our hand is a book. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you very much for joining me today. And um, hopefully we can help this epidemic, sorry, we can help the epidemic of diabetes reduce. Well, thank you for having me on the show. 